This is Voicemail, the Universal Postal Union's podcast covering the wonderful world of mail. I'm your host, Ian Kerr, Pedro de Vasconcelos, Manager of the Financing Facility for Remittances at the International Fund for Agricultural Development, joins me to discuss the importance of international remittances to the global economy and the opportunities for the postal network. Joining me on the line is Pedro de Vasconcelos. He's manager of the financing facility for remittances at the International Fund for Agricultural Development, or IFAD, because it's a bit of a mouthful otherwise, isn't it, Pedro? Pedro, let's start with a question that we ask all of our guests on the UPU Voicemail podcast. What's your first memory of the post? Ah, well, good morning. Uh, that's indeed a, an interesting story. I, I think I remember going into it to send packages when my parents were sending gifts for Christmas back home. Uh, but my first memory, I think, well, like with many in Europe, was that first saving account that was given to me, Livre A in French. Uh, and that was my first memory and uh, a financial service rather than uh, than, uh, than a parcel, you know, package system. For me, that that, that, that that might be the first memory. Obviously, things have changed a bit for, in certain countries, but yeah, that was my first memory. And it's kind of appropriate given our subject matter today because remittances and things like that are, are a core part for many postal operators around the world. So let's start with the, the concept of remittances. So what impact do remittances and migrant investments have on the socioeconomic development of nations? And what's the scale of this contribution globally? Well, yeah, that's indeed a, a very key question. Remittances have been for a very long time the money that people send back to their loved ones and that we now call remittances, private flows. This has been maybe one of the of the main ways for people to support their loved ones back home. They've been using many ways of doing that. Actually, postal was one of them. Uh, your family back home, if you had to migrate, many had to do that. Uh, not only out of choice, but out of necessity. Uh, Europe is a case in point. We saw a lot of migration in the 60s, for instance, from southern countries in Europe uh, going up north. And for many of them, they wanted to send money back home to those that stay behind, their loved ones. Uh, the ways that they would find to do that uh, would be through an envelope where that you would put the, the bills in and then uh, go to the post and send it. Uh, obviously, the trick started to get known and sometimes there were some issues with that in terms of security. But the whole point behind is family members supporting their loved ones uh, with, a, with a little money that they can, uh, they can make and send it uh, on every month to, to, to meet uh, the needs of their, or their family back home. And this continues and actually has been growing as now we see a lot about low and middle income countries around the world sending that. The amounts are, you know, it's very difficult to fathom this to, to understand the, 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 because there's a lot of zeros. <laughs> We're talking about 605 billion uh, for last year alone. That's a lot of zeros. And people normally think, ah, oh, billion, trillions, you know. Uh, this is more than anything going to low and middle income countries. And the, glo the entire globe is affected by that. 
remittances go to Latin America. They go to Europe. They go to Africa, uh, Central Asia, uh, and, and Asia as a whole, the Pacific. Uh, everywhere where there's family members or migrants, migrant workers, there's 200 million of them sending remittances. They send to their family back home, which normally accounts for a, a, around four people uh, that benefit. So that gives you the... the, the the, the dimension. We're talking about one billion people on earth right now benefiting of, of, uh, of remittances, this money that it sent 200 $300 at a time. And this is happening and it's hidden in plain sight. We talk about this, and but it's happening during this podcast. I believe that more than 120 million will be sent in remittances. So this is happening as we speak and it's growing at a 10% rate every year. And, the, and you can throw anything you want at it. Crisis, COVID, lockdowns, okay, that might do a little hit, uh, but that's it. Uh, then it goes up again, faster and more sustainable than any other flow that you can imagine. So this is the reality of this, of this uh, what, I, what we call at EFID, the human face of globalization, because at the end of the day, this is, this is what I believe it is. So given that those... Amazing numbers. So tell us a bit about how IFAD, through the Financing Facility for Remittances, works to financially include migrants or small businesses, remote communities, and other populations, whether they're underserved or even unserved. Absolutely. If you might think about why the International Fund for Agricultural Development works on migrant remittances, well, the, the, the reason is very straightforward and simple. Half of those flows go to rural area. It went from 40%, now it's actually over half. Uh, in some cases, it's 60 70%, uh, depending on the, on the specific country. Uh, and that's a reality that IFAD pretty soon had to start dealing with. Uh, how can we maximize those flows? Uh, you go to any rural area, for instance, in, in Africa, and uh, after driving for... Uh, you know, for a little bit, uh, you will start seeing a Western Union on the side, uh, Envoi d'Argent on the other side, in every language and in every local money receiving, uh, sometimes money sending. But you will see how this is really uh, engraved in the reality of so many people in rural area. So at IFAD, uh, over 15 years ago, we started looking on uh, how can we maximize that? How first can we address this reality? Because a lot of the programs at IFAD and UN programs, we're looking at remittances uh, as something on the side. Uh, and this, I'm afraid that is still the case today. There's a lot of talk about remittances. Very little is done to maximize these flows uh, and even government. And, uh, and at IFAD, what we realized is that there was an issue of uh, access and use of remittances. Getting that access to remittances in rural areas was very difficult. This is why with the with UPU with postal networks in the first place because we realize postal networks are there they could be a channel so getting the remittances there was very difficult uh, many many people will have to basically uh, drive or walk to the next town or city to get their remittances and uh, so uh, getting them getting these flows there fast efficiently uh, was an issue once it gets there, is how can you maximize their use? Because the options available for many family receiving remittances are very low, literally cash to cash. I put cash in your hands, what do you do with it? Well, 
if you think a little bit, you're going to put some in your pocket. Otherwise, you're going to be very tempted in, uh, in, in using it. Uh, you know, what many call, I think, wrongfully uh, consumption. Um, there's a sense that remittances are used uselessly, <laughs> that remittances get you color TVs, get you shoes, things that you don't need, Nike shoes, or, and uh, nothing could be more f- from, the, from the truth. Uh, remittances allow millions of people to address their own SDGs. Migrants uh, work very hard to send these flows, to support their families, to address the poverty levels that push them in the, right, in the first place out of the country. Uh, they were forced to migrate. Many of these migrant workers today uh, are doing it not out of choice, but out of necessity. And this is, I think, something very important to take into account when we try to understand this phenomenon. It puts food on the table. It sends kids to school. So this is what remittances do. We say at IFAD, remittances allow millions of people to address their own SDGs. And they're doing it before the 2030 deadline. They need to do it now. And that's, I think, what it's, uh, what's imperative. So this is a reality for millions of people in rural areas. And at IFAD, we we're trying to see not how to channel this to do other things, because this is sometimes the, the, the problem of governments or the first you know, people arriving to the remittances. All this money, imagine what I could do with it. You know, I, I cannot blame governments and others to think that, but it's just wrong. What we need to do is how can I make that you know, $200 count more. How can I make this count as if it was 500? How can I give more financial options for these flows? And this is where this famous financial literacy comes in. Financial inclusion comes in. If you link these flows with other services, say it, credit, savings, and insurance, you have much more resilient people. You have people with more financial options in their hands to address actually those root causes of migration in the first place. So this is what IFAD is, is, uh, is trying to do to reverse this vice, uh, vicious circle of lack of opportunities, push you to migrate, you send remittances, and the circle keeps going on. And people talk negatively about remittances without thinking about what caused them in the first place, which is that are the negative things to talk about. Well, remittances can break that circle. And that's what IFAD has been trying to do. Uh, allow more options to use their funds, invest in their farms, for instance. Um, and and if, you tr- if you do that, I think this trickles down to the rural communities. So we've been trying very hard in doing that. But it cannot be done alone. And a lot of... of of other actors need to be involved for this to, to, to work. Now, you've just talked about uh, basically using remittances to fulfill SDG goals at a very you know, grassroots level, let's say. And you've talked about f- ideas of financial literacy and things like that. So what are the, some of the challenges then in ensuring that there's ongoing, affordable, and accessible remittances for migrants? And, and are there any factors that are excluding them from what, you could call like a formal financial system. Would that be a way of putting it? Sure. The formality is indeed a key aspect of that. Uh, during COVID, uh, we all thought twenty the reduction of remittances uh, estimated to 20%, that would be catastrophic. And indeed, 20%, you can imagine some of these countries have... Uh, you, you know, uh, a country is thought reliable, rely on remittances when their GDP, corresponding GDP, ranges from 3% up. 
So if your GDP is, or the remittances you receive is equal to 3% of your GDP, you are facing a, a, a phenomenon where remittances, you know, economically play a key role in your country. You have some countries that are 20%. Recently, we see countries with 40%, the Gambia. That's huge. That's, that's, I don't even have the words for that. And, and all these increases have come after the pandemic. And what we realize is a lot of the flows that were going informally, either through the post in an envelope, either hand carry, could not be done. Uh, the, particularly the hand carry because of the of the travel restrictions. So suddenly all that came vis- became visible, and uh, and uh, the, this push for the for more formal ways of sending it, and particularly digitally, again because of the of the of the restriction, has really shown the real face of remittances, and and it's basically again huge. But what are the difficulties in answer to your questions? As I said, there's not a strike of a pen of a rule or regulation or something that United Nations or the country can do just to solve all the problems. It needs to be really a cohesive approach between public and private sector. Let me give you, illustrate an example. Uh, the issue that one particular remittance company in rural, I'm not going to mention countries, but uh, one country in Africa might be because of the lack of competition. If you're the sole service provider to that region, you're going to offer a good service, fast, reliable, efficient, but at a premium. The only thing that will bring the cost down is if competition comes back, comes in the backyard, basically, and uh, or, and and basically start offering similar services at a reduced price. And this is literally what we see in the remittances ecosystem. Competition will drive the cost down. So this is needed. But in order to have a good functioning market, you need also the rules, that, uh, the rules of the game to be set uh, appropriately. And that's also a big problem on the regulator side or the public sector in, in terms of remittances that sometimes do not help uh, the remittances uh, uh, aspect to to to, to really uh, uh, you know or for governments to really understand the importance of that, and this is a key issue that we're being facing at the UN, and uh, and from a long time ago already because there was this perception that these flows are linked to money laundering, uh, terrorist financing. Oh, let's be careful. You know who cares? We don't know what it is. You know let's let's cut it. Uh, well. To be honest, there's many more efficient and secure and safe ways to launder money <laughs> than remittances uh, and, and financiers, because in this case, it's small amounts and you need to involve a lot of people. So it's just mathematically not right. It's not smart to do it with that. But the perception stay there. And as you know, the war against perception is always the most difficult one uh, because it really requires the people to, to sit and try to understand. And this is what we've been trying to do. And uh, actually, a week from now is, uh, or, you know, June 16 is the International Day of Family Remittances. This is a day that was literally created to change, again, the minds of, uh, of public, private sector about the nature of this flow. And, and, and so uh, public, private are, uh, stakeholders are really required if we want this to, to really work for the for the one billion people, and I might say we say one billion people involved as either sender of recipients of remittances, but you're not thinking about the communities around them, 
And I would like to take an example in Mali, for instance, during the pandemic, where the remittances shrink and all the economic activity, both on the sending and receiving side, you know, were affected. Well, remittances that were going kept, kept, uh, kept communities going because you might receive remittances your neighbor might not have. But with those remittances, you bought the seeds from some from a farmer that didn't receive remittances. He just wanted to sell these seeds. But you had the funds to do it. So, you know, uh, when we sometimes people talk about inequalities that remittances make, because some receive some, they keep communities alive. And uh, obviously, uh, not not only remittances uh, should be included in that, but they have, what we saw during the pandemic is a very high positive impact on many communities, thanks to to those flows. Returning then to the idea of the post enabling international remittances, how have postal operators helped provide inclusive finance for migrant populations and and others who rely on this remittance system? Actually, that's an interesting question. The first project uh, that we have done on remittances was with the Postal Network uh, back in 2007. Uh, because we realize again how close uh, the postal uh, network is to this reality of rural remittances. Uh, we know that there's more postal offices than bank branches, uh, and many of these postal networks could provide financial services. So, as the post was trying to also reinvent themselves, because uh, you know very few of us send postcards right now, we use parcels, but there's competition on that. Uh, remittances came as something that could allow also the posts to uh, to be me- more meaningful, and particularly because the local population liked the post. You know, this is a place where you can go and uh, and you can you 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 can meet people. Uh, so in many rural communities, you know, th- that's the place in the village or in the small city. You know th- that you meet. And, uh, and having people going there to receive remittances and therefore getting other, you know, was a, was a solution uh, that some of the surveys were showcasing. So our first project was, was, to, was to do that. And also at the same time, allowing to create some competition to the, to the, to the big boys in, in the remittances world, uh, let's say, and reduce the cost. Uh, that worked. I remember in this first project, just the announcement of this project made the competition uh, reduce their cost by half, which was quasi-dumping. You know, basically, you try to dump the prices so you don't have a newcomer in there. Uh, I wouldn't expand too much on that. But the reaction was there, and that was interesting, was to say that there were still ways in the market to make it still more efficient, more affordable for the remittances families. And, uh, and I think the postal has been instrumental on that. So it, it is really a win-win when it comes, I think, to the, to the post. But there's still some issues, obviously. Uh, it is a very competitive marketplace. And, uh, and it's not just, I offer remittances today and I'm set. It doesn't really work that way. Um, for the postal networks, it's through either partnerships. Uh, they need to think it through. But I think where the postal uh, networks have an advantage is their linkages with financial services. When that is possible, uh, then it's a big difference. And this is where it all boils down. What are remittances important and why should we work on them? It's because of the biggest development impact that they can have when linked with financial services. 
that is actually the the, fir- the very first thing that can destroy the need to have remittances is linking them with financial services because when you have those options you might not need remittances in the future so uh, and you might be resilient this is what we saw during the pandemic those that were receiving remittances and were, were which were linked with insurance for instance or, or credit or savings were much more resilient and, uh, and again, we, we've seen this lesson over and over and time after time during the last 10 years. But, you know, we all need a refresher and a boost to understand it again and yet again. And, uh, and we've been seeing this with the pandemic. We're seeing this now with uh, uh, the, the crisis. Um, what is happening, for instance, in Eastern Europe, uh, we're seeing now a whole renew about the impact of remittances, migration patterns changing again. Um, from not only Ukraine, but those that actually depended on Russian remittances. Um, this, uh, this is this is a big phenomenon. And again, how to get it there fast, s- securely, you know, and cheap remains still the issue. And how to make it more more meaningful by linking it with other options remains still the question of the day. Can you tell us a bit more then about how um, IFAD has worked with the UPU to make progress in this you know, shared goal of financial inclusion? Sure. Uh, one of the key things is uh, we started, uh, you know, first making sure that uh, in, in this particular project, and then we had several projects through a, a whole specific, I mean, a dedicated program on, uh, on postal and remittances in Africa. Uh, with the support of the European Commission, and in this uh, called APSFI. And uh, and the whole purpose of this program was to link remittances with financial services and not only then deliver these benefits to the families, but also, you know, uh, showcase to the postal network that this is the way to go. Um, and, uh, and the program called for... Uh, uh, entering into this uh, into this ecosystem, either through partnerships with some money transfer companies, so the postal network could distribute these remittances, but in a way that also allows them to link them with other services or the generation of savings. Um, because sometimes you can do it wrong. You know, you can have a postal network, and then on the last window uh, of your postal, you have a Western Union outlet, and then you have all the other ones. So people might just go to the window of Western Union, get their cash and leave. And that is, and even if you get a tranche of, of, of that as a postal network, that's not the business model that we recommend. We recommend the one is that you receive this through the postal network and then you can link this as a postal operator and you see the remittances that come in. That's the time that you have to entice people to open an account. Why not save? And if you save you know, enough. If you demonstrate that you're a good little saver, you know what? We can give you maybe some credit and uh, and we can develop insurance products as well linked to this. And this is how you change the life of millions of people one at a time if you really want to do it. And postals, again, we could do that. And this is what we've been trying. We were trying to set the example in several countries in Africa, pilot this, test this, have a proof of concept because if you decide to go that route, you need to make an investment decision, you know, at the head of a postal network. And you might not do that because you still need a lot of information. You're not sure how it would work. Is it worth the investment? So this is what we did with the, with the, with the UPU. We started testing and we did the manuals. What it would take for a postal network 
to offer these services? Would it be efficient? What it would, you know, some of the answers is, yes, you need to make your postal network attractive. You need to repaint the thing, <laughs> put the air conditioning, make it attractive, link these services really with, with behind one window. And uh, as you say in French, le tour est joué, <laughs> you know, voila. Uh, and uh, uh, so we created manuals with UPU in regards to what it would take. Uh, obviously, we looked at all other things, regulations that would allow you those and this and marketing. But we basically try to make a more deeper and wider market, uh, remittances market in rural areas, thanks to the postal networks. And where that works, the results is very, very, very impressive, I think, indeed, and can have this demonstrative effect on the postal networks to follow suit. You mentioned earlier about the International Day of Family Remittances, and you spearheaded the creation of this day. Um, can you just share a little bit more about this? Um, you, you mentioned you know, uh, bringing the concept to the attention of governments, helping them understand what remittances are for, how they benefit communities. Can you share a little bit more about you know the the aims of this special International Day of Family Remittances? Sure. And first, first, I would like to personally admit that I was about a bit skeptical about international days. What are they for? Are they useful? Are they just you know? A blah blah a sticker of some sort, and and I'm a, I'm a full advocate today, and I can say that for sure. And the reason this came about, and the, the usefulness of these days, uh, was to address misconceptions. And I think this is very useful. And it's very important to say, as IFAD, for instance, I mean, as IFAD, we organize uh, beyond the projects. We work a lot on advocacy, and one of our you know, uh, information dissemination and engagement tool is what we call the Global Forum on Remittances that we organize every two years. And in such events that we organized in 2013, at the time, uh, there was a lot of issues with the remittances service providers that were looked upon by regulators as this money laundering, uh, you know, outlets. Uh, I don't know if you remember during there were some of the crises. There were many, many banks were closing or shutting down their remittance companies' accounts because what is this money? So the perception of remittances were really negative, and the private sector and the the, the community around remittances were saying we need to do something to change their minds. We need we really need to see what remittances are for, and uh, and that's where the idea of the International Day uh, came about. And Alifad we took upon us after this. Uh, this this request to bring it to the to the UN United Nations General Assembly it took a long time to do that. Uh, if I'd uh, uh, elected the day first in 2015, and only in 2018, the General Assembly unanimously approved the International Day of Family Remittances for those for these purposes is to make a better understanding what remittances are for and what they are not, and how important they are for the development as well of of, uh, of communities across the world. And since then, on June 16, we we push for this, and we also do specific campaigns. The year, the campaign for this year is promoting resilience through financial and digital inclusion. And uh, and we realize that this is really the the, the 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 next frontier. What needs to be done in remittances to make them count more? Because it's all about that. How can you make remittances count more? Uh, because they count a lot. You kill them, right? You, you remove them today. You're in a crisis that you have no idea. It's the biggest and fastest crisis that you could see, a remittances one, because it, it would affect everyone in, uh, in many poor communities in rural areas. So how can you make them count more is the objective 
of the day of the specific campaigns. And we engage again with the public and the private sector as well. But we try to have others take a, so me talking to you, I think on this podcast from UPU is one of those, you know, UPU has a key role to play on remittances and to advocate to the reality of this, of these flows. One billion people, again, that's a lot of people. It's not just the money. We just mentioned the, the, the breadth and the reach of remittances. And you've earlier mentioned the reach of the global postal network. So all in all, I mean, do you think that there's something else the post can do to help boost you know, real recovery from pandemic, resilience, you know, recovery from global conflicts and things like that through these ideas of digital and financial inclusion? Um, what, what else is there that the postal world could do, in your opinion? I think, again, remittances can serve the posts a lot and much more than many, many think uh, about and particularly through the financial inclusion standpoint, not just delivering remittances, which many, for many of the postal network people is the first stop. Oh, okay, can we do these linkages? The financial inclusion, financial services is, is the key one. And I think it, it will give not only the post, uh, you know, uh, answers to their existential questions right now. You know, we're competing in a digital age, uh, uh, how should we do it? And dealing with remittances family, the beautiful thing about that from a just purely business perspective is that it's not a question of money. Uh, you're dealing with people that have the resources. They have foreign currency coming in regularly. And if you, if you take into account those facts, or that, those items as facts, not just well, they receive money from time to time, which is the main mistake that many banks have done. Uh, if you understand the regularity of these flows, then you have a very strong client base that you could be tackling. And, uh, and, uh, and very important for your existential, you know, uh, questioning is, you know, my client base in rural areas is diminishing uh, or not even rural areas everywhere, nationwide. Uh, tapping into the remittances sector beyond just servicing clients with their cash, uh, it's, it's the way to go. And, uh, and, and I think in there, you know, if, if you're skeptical about that, you just go 30 years ago and you just, again, look at Europe and, uh, and you look at Spain at Italy, at Portugal, uh, at the times where they needed to, you know, to join, they had to m meet the Maastricht requirements to get into the EU. And you realize the impact that remittances had. Uh, and you soon realize the lesson learned in there. Uh, commercial banks in those countries did it very well. Actually, commercial banks were offering remittances for at zero cost. One of the SDG targets is just bring it back to five, under 5%, but 3%. Banks were doing it zero. How can a profit-making institution give remittances for free? Because that's not even where the business, where the business, where the clients, where those receiving remittances and sending, this is your crying base that is going to need a suite of financial products and other products that will keep you going. And that's how the post, I think, should be looking at this. Again, unfortunately, we're not there. Many postal networks, and I can speak a lot about Africa, would look at this as, hey, a quick win. Can we just link remittances and, and, you know, we can distribute remittances in an outlet and that's it. Uh, there needs to be a much more strategic approach to it, uh, much more investment in this. 
but the rewards are longstanding. And that's that I think it's, uh, uh, again, we're just taking it from the history books, if we might say so, of, of what happened uh, 20, 30 years ago uh, in, uh, for instance, in Europe, but also in, uh, in, in other countries. Uh, the, the possibilities are immense and they're there. It is just for the understanding now uh, for the actors to, 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 to have. And I think postal networks uh, should do more. Can, that's a good thing, uh, but the willingness to, 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 to do more and, and take those steps towards linking more of their activities with remittances. Now, if anybody listening to this podcast wants to find out more about the International Fund for Agricultural Development, uh, where should they go? There's many places. First, uh, of course, the IFAD, uh, IFAD.org website, uh, but I will suggest also the uh, familyremittances.org uh, website, which is linked to the International Day of Family uh, of Family Remittances, uh, that would be one of the of the of the key place to uh, to go. Uh, and there, you have many other links to many other resources and websites that we have for the global discussion and and information around remittances. Pedro de Vasconcelos, manager of the financing facility for remittances at the International Fund for Agricultural Development. Thank you very much for joining us on the UPU Voicemail podcast today. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Voicemail, the official podcast of the Universal Postal Union. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and you'll get each episode downloaded to the device of your choosing as it's released. My thanks to the team at the UPU for their help putting together this episode. I'm your host, Ian Kerr, and I look forward to your company next time on Voicemail, the podcast of the UPU. UPU.